Hey, what's going on? Welcome to another episode of Angular Air. I'm your host, Justin Schwarzenberger, and today we are going to be discussing education technology and kind of the role and places where Angular pops up within that industry. As always, we've got some great guests that are we're fortunate enough to have join us today to talk about this topic. But before we introduce those and, and meet those guys, let's talk about our panelists that we got joining us today. Today we have Austin McDaniel with us, NG Panda. Austin, how's it going? How's everybody doing? Cool. And we also have uh, Jeff Welkley joining us. He didn't disappear. He didn't magically vanish. He's still around, guys. Jeff, how's it going? Good, good, man. I'm happy to be here. I uh, usually uh, am cranking away uh, these days on a variety of different things, but I was had a little bit of time and happy to join to talk about uh, EdTech. I, I love the uh, subject area, and I know our two, two guests today have a lot of experience, so it's going to be really fun to get into this. Cool. Yeah, and I know this was originally an episode that Jeff had planned on the calendar, so it's great to have him joining us uh, for this discussion as well. We have another panelist that just hopped on right now, Alyssa. Alyssa, how's it going? Are you uh, ready to go? We'll see if she responds. Not yet, but she's joining us as well, so she'll be hopping in here. Okay, our guest on today's show, we have uh, Wesley Cho. Wesley, how are you doing? Pretty good here, but tired. You got my morning coffee. <laughs> nice, nice. And um, where is here? What, what do you got? What are you doing? Uh, I'm in Palo Alto in the uh, office at my company. Um, I work at uh, a tech company called MindFlash. We do uh, online corporate training. Great, great. Well, we're stoked to have you here to talk about this topic today, uh, provide some expertise on it. Uh, we also have Victor Mejia with us. Victor, how's it going? Hey, how's it going, guys? And Victor, uh, where do you work at? What do you got going on? Uh, I work at McGraw-Hill Education. I'm a UI engineer there, working with a small team of uh, awesome front-end engineers. Um, actually work on our uh, assessments platform for educators. So, but uh, I'm home right now. I've been a little under the weather these past few days, but just recovering now, yeah. Great, great. Well, glad you guys are joining us today. We're looking forward to a great discussion. So when we talk about education technology as an industry, I mean, what are we referring to there? I guess I'll start uh, with my attempt. Uh, I think it's uh, basically like anything with technology that helps improve the state of education, which is a very broad definition because there's a, there's a lot to it, really. Like, are you targeting like K through 12? Are you targeting college students uh, and college courses and stuff like that? Or it could be MOOCs, right? Um, it, it, it could be all sorts of things. And my company is a little different in that, like, uh, as I said, we do corporate online corporate training. So uh, we, basically help uh, companies uh, train their employees or other uh, or external facing folks even uh, on stuff related to their product or whatever. So um, it's, it's a very broad term in my opinion. I, I think that's a pretty, pretty good definition. You know, I would add, um, you know, using technology to um, improve learning. Uh, you know, uh, so my company, we've, uh, we don't focus on, on corporate, it's all education, you know, um, historically we focus on K through 12 and now moving into higher ed. So, um, uh, yeah, I, I think that's a pretty good, good definition. Yeah. Are these the, uh, are these the systems like that, you know, your employer sends you like, you need to learn about mishandling of email information now that kind of like makes you check through it or is, is this kind of something different? Wes, sorry. You're muted. Yeah, sorry, uh, I missed it. Can you repeat that? <laughs> <laughs> I said, um, is this like, uh, are these the things that, um, like I get in the email from my boss that's like, oh, we need to review email procedures about mishandling email infos and stuff like that and you've got to like go through it and it kind of teaches you about stuff like that yeah so that i mean that's one aspect uh like for example uh i've i've seen the military do that for example they uh do all sorts of 
applies training. And that's not just the military. I guess the federal government in general is like that, right? Because, like, you have to get, like, for example, annual um, training on, like, how to handle classified information, or any sensitive document documents and stuff like that. Uh, just as one example, for example. Um, but some uh, we have, like, for example, one client that actually uh, trains uh, salespeople on how to uh, better sell their products, for example. So, I mean... Uh, there's there's a lot of surprising facets to this. Well, one thing that I I, I usually like to start with any um, area on is like what was the problem it's trying to solve, right? And, and I think with ed tech, in, in if you had to create like a general, I mean, you guys correct me if I'm wrong because you you guys are much more into it than than I am, but um, it seems to me that the general problem category comes to the fact of this issue with trying to find ways to maximize the learning of different people who learn in different ways, right? That like the traditional uh, education in, in school set is set up in a way that, you know, you're trying to educate a lot of people at the same time, or in any case, in any way, when you are trying to get a certain amount of information to a large number of people, that's inherently problematic because people learn in different ways. And how can you effectively do that? And there's different sides to it. There's the sides of trying to help the teachers, trying to help the students, helping people at different levels for different subjects and that type of thing. So that you, it gets sliced and diced in different ways. But um, that's always been my impression that that's like one of the, the, the main problem area. Do you, do you guys agree with that? So yeah. Talking, oh, sorry. sorry. <laughs> I, I just had a question. Uh, are you referring to like stuff like adaptive learning or what? Well, a little bit, but but the reason why people are trying to use technology at all to to train it as opposed to just a book, like why why use um, software in general to learn rather than just a textbook, which is like the more traditional way to to learn, or uh, a teacher teaching to a, a classroom. I, uh, I know that whenever I was at code school, that was almost a daily conversation of um, just going through our demographic because there are lots of different reasons, like you're saying, to want to learn. Um, obviously, most of them were either developers already in the field or people who wanted to get into development. So then also breaking it down and making you know, the best content that you can for them in the shortest amount of time because apparently all developers have ADD. Um, <laughs> who knew, right? So I, I think uh, it's, it's definitely, it's not something that at least we found um, an exact formula to, to where you can make everyone happy. I think at the end of the day, you have to pick, this is our main demographic, like this type of learner um, with this kind of background, and then go from there. You're still going to kind of hit a smattering of people, but I don't think you can at least from what, again, what I've experienced thus far in teaching um, for this industry, I, d I don't think there's any one formula that's going to hit them all. So. Is there a way that you could kind of like, uh, maybe Jeff touched on this, like adaptive, right? Like based on how you're, you know, going through and you're excelling with different types of questions, like pivot you off into different areas that you might learn better from? I think that's definitely a possibility. But when you think about it, what way are you teaching, right? Like how, so you're saying adaptive learning, but how are you teaching adaptively? Are you doing it with videos, with blog posts, with in-browser challenges, with follow-along type tutorials? None of those ways are going to make everyone happy. None of those right. ways are going to be the best tool to teach. So no matter how adaptive your lesson is or your course is, at the end of the day, I feel like you still have to decide who are, who are we catering to. Yeah, I agree with that. What what I was suggesting was like give them a multitude at at the beginning of all those different types, and figure out which one they like better, and then just funnel it through that. Anyways, I'm getting off. There, no. I think there was a we actually tried things like that before, and there's a danger in that because people get overwhelmed, and not that developers in general want to be handheld, but they don't want everything in the moon thrown at them of like, what do you want? Like it was almost more of a, um, here's a couple choices max. Right. And because if you offer them everything, it's just, uh, I don't know. I feel like we lost more people that way than having a set path. So. Uh, actually, this reminds me of, uh, of a book I read, um, I guess about a year into my career. Um, it's called disrupting class. Um, 
a disclaimer, uh, one of my cousins is actually married to one of the co-authors. <laughs> so, uh, but um, it actually talks about the different ways that people learn and uh, different approaches that would um, help stimulate the people who are more receptive to those ways of learning. So it's a very insightful read on, I guess, uh, I guess on like how we as people learn things in general. Yeah, at um, McGraw-Hill, we, we like to call ourselves as a, a, a learning science company. So uh, obviously, uh, um, adaptive learning is is huge in our in our company. We got some really smart folks, you know, PCs in math and things like that, and coming up with algorithms of um, coming up with this uh, adaptive um, assessments, right? So. Um, for for students that are uh, you know catering as as say as they're taking an assessment, um, delivering certain questions that are that are going to help them right not help not help them uh, succeed so that they can actually get to like the next level you know so um, adaptive adaptive assessments are definitely huge at, at McGraw Hill so and I think that there's like two phases here right there's the getting uh, the education into the technology world and providing these technical solutions to teaching and then taking that to the next level like this adaptive stuff so uh, have you guys found that at your companies you're already in this comfortable in a spot where you have technology to solve the education solution and now you can focus more on this future way of learning of leveraging the technology or is it you're still kind of in in both boats you're still kind of still providing this technology platform for teaching as well as exploring these future things? Yeah, I would say we're still, it's still evolving and ex exploring. Um, I mean, as, as you may know, McGraw-Hill, historically, it's, uh, it's been publishing company, right? So, but our, our digital platform group is, is, is not that old, you know? So um, we're still definitely exploring and um, using a lot of cool new tech like Angular, uh, you know, to do, to do this kind of stuff, so. And so um, let's talk a little bit about the, the needs in terms of like when you think about this technology, like, like what are the requirements that you have to hit to provide this technology solutions for these things? Like things like a UI, you know, offline capabilities, um, delivering to the masses like Jeff said in terms of your application. Like, like what are those things that you need to kind of think about and consider when you're, you're talking about technology for this industry? Um, let me see. I'll, I'll speaking for for our project. So I would say that there's there's two main two main things. First would be um, performance, right? So as as we venture into um, international markets, um, having that initial render, initial page load, it's, it's just very very important. We we can't just even though like our, our our platform is is for the desktop, we can't just assume that everyone has you know a really good internet connection. So um, that's vital. And then the second um, thing I would say is um, accessibility. Um, uh, you know, being uh, inclusive to all students um, and making sure that they can use our, our, our platform. And then, uh, you know, in terms of performance, there's all sorts of stuff we could talk about that, um, right? Like things like AOT, using the CLI with AOT. So, um, yeah, I don't know what you guys want to want to chat about. Yeah, let's hear it. <laughs> so, all right. So, how hard it how hard is it to do AOT? It's really it's been really hard, right? So, when <laughs> when when we started when we started our this this project we've been working on, um, I think the CLI was still using uh, broccoli, and and we didn't we didn't want to go that that route. So. Um, we ended up using uh, Patrick's boilerplate. It's been it's been really good, um, but what we want to do now. We've been performance tuning our app, and then AOT wasn't the the easiest thing in the world for us to configure. And now we're we're pretty happy at where the CLI is at. So we're actually thinking of just migrating our app to the CLI. And um, but I don't know is is the CLI is it is it does it have an AOT flag now built in? So I, I believe it's, uh, it, it's AOT checking. And then you can AOT compile with it. Like I think when you ng serve, we were playing around with this recently and trying to figure out some stuff. Uh, but okay. I believe when you ng serve, it's running an AOT check on your code to make sure that it's AOT compliant. Okay. 
what what have you guys been with AOT? Have you guys done it in your projects at work or? Yeah, so for us, we're kind of, uh, we're trying to do the same thing, right? We were rolling our own build system uh, for some of the stuff that we were doing. And we're like, let's just get into the CLI. Jeff actually inspired us a lot with a recent talk at, I believe, Angular Connect, where he was really talking about bringing up the fact of like, look, we need to embrace these tools and then provide feedback to them to try and make it something that that is something that suits us all. And so we really kind of embraced that and said, look, we want to go to the CLI. We want to provide feedback to the team and, and really help make this something that's going to work for us as well. And so as a result of that, we're trying to move these apps into that. And of course, when we did that and then try to ng-serve through it, we get notification that we're not AOT compliant yet. And so now we're working <laughs> through our code to make it AOT compliant, which is a good thing, right? Um, right, right. But yeah, we're kind of dealing with some of that stuff. And then uh, still a few little twerk tweaks and stuff there because with the build system, if we were doing something that we needed to leverage that, we had full control, right? Uh, but it also meant we had to manage it ourselves. Um, and so we want to get out of that management game, but we still kind of need some of the tweaks and stuff. So we're still figuring some of that stuff out. Like the only week that Brocco doesn't show up. I know. I was hoping he was going to be on, man. <laughs> well, the good thing is he said he was going to be watching the live stream. So we know you're out there. So okay. <laughs> so if you've got any requests or anything, just throw yeah, them out there. Yeah, Victor, if you need him to do anything, like Mike is very good about just, um, you know, he, he basically listens to the show, starts working on it right away, and usually within 24 hours, he'll have it done. <laughs> My favorite thing is to tag him in GitHub issues that I have that are CLI related. I'm like, yeah. hey, Brocco, what do you think? <laughs> yeah, I think um, I'm, I love the CLI. It, it's so awesome, you know, um, especially where the state that it's at now. I, I really, I'm really digging it. So um, I think we're going so, hey, to make that quick, transition. So are you all AOT now? Really quick, what what is this app that you're talking about? Like that's in Angular. What, how are you using Angular for your the education stuff? Um, yeah, so it's it's one of the many um, apps in, in McGraw Hill. So, where just to get some background, we're, we're, I would say we we're pretty much largely an Angular shop. There's a couple of Ember and React projects, but for the most part, we've invested heavily in in, uh, in Angular. So um, this app this app was um, started a few months ago. It was a uh, Angular One app. It, it, you know, it wasn't wasn't that performant. So um, uh, a couple of folks here in Irvine, uh, with an awesome team in in, in Boston, we uh, decided to rewrite this app in Angular Two when they were still in, in RC. So um, as to the specific, it's it's uh, how would I how would I call it? It's it's essentially what what's delivering our our assessment. So um, I work um, through this this uh, company. I think they got bought out like by by about two years ago, called Angrade. It's essentially like um, you know an, an LMS, um, and we extracted out the the assessment component from that. So um, that's pretty pretty much what our platform does: delivering assessments and all um, different kinds of uh, question types that the students get and stuff like that. Cool. So then, um, so then you're looking at okay, how do how do we make that hit all these marks, right? With this performance stuff, that sort of thing, and and that's where the AOT comes in and stuff like that. What um so and that's separate from the content itself, is that correct? Like, do you have training videos and stuff that they watch, and then they, they consume that through one app, and then they do the assessment through another, or is it just straight assessment curriculum stuff? Yeah, it's assessment curriculum. You know, um, we have predefined curriculum. Um, and then also, and then pretty much freedom up to the teacher or you know the instructor to author whatever content they want. So it could be video, it could be you know multiple choice questions and anything they want. So. Well, and then what um, what's your target audience that you guys are reaching? Is it all different ages? What is it? Um, yeah. So. Uh, Main focus would say it's K through twelve, but we we're moving into higher ed. So uh, um, yeah, we'll we'll be venturing into that area next. So are you, that, are you, oh, go ahead. I was just gonna ask. So is the software that you're building geared towards students or towards teachers? 
the specific platform, the app that I'm working on is targeted towards uh, students. Yep. So do you sell directly to them or do you sell to the school and the school provides it to the students? I believe they sell to the school and the school provides to the students. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So this is like a little bit, I, um, yeah, I know there's different variations of like um, for people that are creating education software and, and you know, some people sell directly to students, et cetera. But with, with that selling to the student, uh, to the teachers and the schools, um, I, I know you're not directly associated with this, but like uh, is it, are there challenges with that process? Because even if you build like awesome software, if like the, the, does the, do the schools like sometimes push like either not want, want it, not want to um, buy from you or like they push back and uh, even though the students love it, the schools like for whatever reason like kind of force your hand to change something. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't know too much about the, you know, the, the selling point of, of this software. So, yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't, wouldn't be able to, to come. Do you have the opportunity to just kind of say, okay, we, we, here's the thing that we have to solve. So we're free to kind of solve it in any way we want. We think the best way to solve it. Yeah, yeah, and then that's why, you know, some of the devs got together and were like, hey, we're going to use the Angular 2. <laughs> you know, it was still an RC, you know, so we didn't we didn't tell anybody that we're in release candidate. So we just, <laughs> just kind of went with it, so yeah. What, Wesley, are you in the same boat there in terms of the software that you guys are building? So uh, what's it called? Um, I mean, our platform is an LMS, so we have a bunch of different apps that comprise our whole system. But um, uh, we are largely Angular-powered also, so we uh, consciously chose, uh, went with Angular for pretty much all of our stuff currently, um, for front ends at least. Uh, and we, uh, we also use Node.js on the back end. But um, uh, yeah, I mean, it powers our stuff, and it works pretty well. Right now, we're in the process of porting over one of our existing apps for managing course content into Angular 2 from Flash. And so uh, that's been a very interesting journey. Um, but uh, so far, it's going pretty well. Uh, the one thing I haven't got to do that I want to do is AOT compilation. But uh, that's uh, painful work, I'm sure, as everybody here knows. <laughs> What's the... Um what, what what's some of the things that you would tell like developers you know that are in a similar spot as yours like porting things like Flash or maybe even Silverlight Gasp um, to things like Angular too like what are some of the lessons that you've kind of learned from that? I mean, I I feel like it's just like any other uh, front end project. You I mean, or any other project in general, you want to just yeah, it's it's just standard product development. You want to plan things appropriately and uh, like determine like what the scope of the project is going to be and the timeline and um, et cetera. I mean, like, I don't know. It's just, as far as I'm concerned, it's just a standard product development cycle. There's yeah, I mean, like, you know, product owners have typical like um, perception like, oh, this is in Flash or like we have these great awesome things in Flash. I want it to be exactly like that in Angular 2, right? Well, in our case, uh, we're actually doing some things even better <laughs> than what awesome. uh, our existing Flash stuff. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, like, like, uh, like we're adding, uh, so we're adding the ability to, uh, so I mean, we have the ability to like add sort of narrations to uh, various slides of a course. And so um, you can record the audio right in the browser um, and using the web audio API, see sort of the waveform, for example, if the browser supports it. So uh, there's like nice little touches uh, like that that we're adding in. Yeah. Very cool. So we got uh, another panelist that joined us today. Uh, Shy, Shy, how's it going? Oh, he's muted, so uh, we don't get to hear him. But uh, he, he has some education tech stuff going on as well, so it'll be interesting to hear his uh, thoughts on some stuff as well. So. Welcome in, join in, uh, discuss whenever you're ready. Uh, so I got a question on uh, languages and stuff like that. Like how much do you guys, uh, are you guys dealing with that right now in terms of uh, supporting different languages for your applications? Uh, yeah, uh, uh, we have to in our app. Uh, so 
we're using uh what's this what's this package uh ng2 translate to to do it yeah so um yeah this, that was fairly fairly easy to configure in our app so and is that a what about in terms of like the i18n stuff that's coming out as part of the angular framework are you guys thought about that like how is that going to wrap in are you going to keep using the ng2 translate and then is it is there a lot of work and like like what goes involved into that in terms of as you plan out your application and your screens and all this UI stuff um, to work that into the mix? Yeah, I mean, for let me see the the, the app that I'm working on. I, it's not too too hard to configure because we don't we don't have a lot of text other than whatever the instructor authors right. So um, you know things like navigation text or notifications. It's, we have a, a fairly short amount of text that we actually show the, the, the students. Um, so, yeah, any, any, it's you know, it's pretty easy to, to to configure. So it's not 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 a big deal. So, yeah. And Wesley, are you guys doing anything in that realm? So uh, we're mainly doing it, from what I understand, in our. Um, I guess more trainee uh, oriented um, stuff. So like uh, when they take our assessments and stuff like that, emails. Um, so we haven't really done that in Angular 2 yet. Uh, I believe we use Angular Translate on the Angular 1 side. I haven't really had to uh, deal with that too much. But um, but yeah, we, we use a translation service to translate uh, various uh, strings uh, into uh, the languages that we're supporting. And then cool. we uh, load that up from a file. So um, what other uh, things about Angular are awesome that help you guys out in terms of your choice for doing that as the platform for your applications? Or are there some things that you get that are, that are great out of it that help you solve these technological problems? I love the wiring up with Zone.js in Angular 2, especially. Um, makes things very nice and simple <laughs> in a lot of ways. Yeah, uh, let me see. For me, I, I love that Angular still made Angular 2. Well, we have to call it Angular now, right? That they, they made the, the next, this ver next version of Angular. They made it testable, um, you know, uh, making it very easy to, to unit test your code, I think. I think that's awesome. It's always been a priority for the Angular team, and so definitely, definitely, kudos to them for that. So, I'm I'm a big fan of dependency injection in JavaScript in general um, because uh, unfortunately the testing situation in JavaScript is not great. So, mm -hmm. having a system like DI really helps a lot, in my opinion. Yep. Yep. That now, now, <laughs> yeah. I'd also say that the, the community. I mean. Uh, I don't know. There's so many cool uh, open source packages out there, um, which is what I wanted to ask uh, Wes also. Like, what kind of, what are the the major, you know, ng2 uh, packages that you guys are, are using? So uh, for us, one one of the the ones that we that we used from the from the start was um, ng2 uh, Bootstrap from um, I think Valor Software. Um, the reason we want them is because their their navigational components were were keyboard navigable, which was huge, huge for us. So um, they made definitely made an uh, uh, awesome work there with that. So I know this really great one called ng two d three. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I've been keeping my eye on that. So. Um, as far as some stuff that we're using, uh, I mean, we're using NG Bootstrap. I'm on the NG Bootstrap team, uh, so uh, cool. uh, that one, I mean, it works pretty well for us. Um, uh, what else do we use? NGRX Store, um, and I think we use NGRX. Do we use NGRX Effects? Uh, I don't remember. I mean, there's a there's a bunch of packages we use, but not too much on the third party on the Angular side. I guess because the ecosystem is not really. Uh, what is it robust yet? Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, it's really troublesome to actually like publish a third-party package in Angular 2 than in Angular yeah. 1. I feel um, so that's probably a big reason that's as far as why that situation exists. Um, but otherwise, we pretty much have homebrewed uh, a lot of our stuff. Like even like stuff like audio player, video player, and stuff like mm -hmm. that. We've homebrewed all that. Um, 
It's interesting you bring up NGRX store. Um, we were talking about that the other day, and given like I, I can imagine a lot of your content is probably heavy on the forms driven. Um, like Redux type patterns are not typically like very easy to do in, in heavy form type operations. So that, that's interesting you brought that up that you're using that. Uh, yeah, so um, we use it actually to encapsulate certain um, certain state that we want to be global because um, we're dealing with, so we autosave actually like a lot of times when you make a change, like uh, you can rearrange slides, for example, we save automatically when that happens. Um, so um, we need that, we need some sort of concept of a global state. And so NGRX store is actually very, uh, is perfect for us in that regard. I do wish there was a way to uh, create like sort of sub stores scoped to like maybe a certain module or something like that. I don't, maybe I just haven't done enough research into that, but um, because I feel like um, a global store is also very easy to abuse. And uh, that is also a sort of problem I've seen too. I don't have a good solution off the top of my head, but uh, I wish there was ways to scope data structures of state um, on a per module basis, as opposed to having a global to a whole application. Can't you make um? Can't you make each like, pay, or essentially like each page like its own like store, and then scope it like that, and then have like a higher level store? I mean, I guess you could, but then I'm I'm just worried about uh, I guess um when you try to in, uh, inject store into something, then uh, like uh, knowledge of what store do you get, right? So I mean, I guess there's potential problems in uh, that area. I'd have to do more research into it, honestly. It hasn't been something that we had huge issues with. I mean, we've worked, I mean, what we have is not ideal, uh, but uh, we've got stuff to work fine in, in, with a way that we can control uh, any real damage. So when you guys have decided to use these third-party modules and bring this stuff in here, um, obviously one of your marks is really this performance. And I think a lot of apps everywhere, it's always about performance. We all want to be building performant apps. But some have to be highly performance is very important, right? As well as delivery and, and size and stuff like that. These things that we talk about in terms of this reach for your different software. Um, have you run into... Uh, snags where you said, okay, look, we bring, bring the third party in, library in, and oh, it doesn't perform well, and so now it's kind of not hitting the mark, so now we got to decide, do we keep it, and do we, do we um, tweak it, or do we roll our own? Have you hit that yet with some couple of ones that you've done? Uh, for us, no. I mean, uh, I, I actually vet stuff at the source code level usually uh, before deciding to adopt something, so uh, if I'm not satisfied with the source code, I'd rather homebrew it. Um, I'm a little extreme like that, I guess, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's the same, same story here. I mean, we're not using a, a lot. Well, I mean, there there are some um, apps at MHE that, um, you know, like the entire app is, is based on, like, uh, Angular material and, and things like that. Um, so, yeah, I can't, can't speak for those apps, but for that, the app that I'm working on, we only brought in um, a, f a few packages, which which are widely used. You know, things like Moment to you know deal with like date and time parsing. Um, uh, libraries like Lodash, so which are libraries that are pretty performant. The only I think big libraries I, I, I would say that we brought in would be the uh, the ng2 Bootstrap, um, and it worked out fine. And, and the reason why we decided to go with that is you know we checked out some of their components and. Um, checked out their code and they really made an awesome job making it um, accessible and you know keyboard navigable. So that was a, a huge win win for us. But um, yeah, I haven't really got into that uh, you know uh, performance issue there. So one of the things that we've looked into, we brought in like one of the things we brought in was like okay, we want to have a custom scroll bar, <coughs> right? And we really don't want to rewrite that code. So could we leverage a, a third party library out there to do this custom scroll bar for these? block elements or whatnot. And we bring that in and, and to touch back on the zone stuff and stuff like that, like that can become a problem, right? And could all of a sudden the way that that library is doing some changes, some detection or whatnot can affect change detection within your Angular application. Now you got to run that particular piece of code outside of Angular zone or whatnot to solve a performance issue that doesn't necessarily come up right away, but 
if that's important, these things can kind of cripple things at some points, and, and you may not even notice it from just vetting the code right away. We've kind of seen that. So um, I think that becomes an interesting paradigm in terms of us trying to bring in these third-party libraries, right? I have a question. <laughs> I have a question. Uh, I came in late, and I didn't hear the first minute. So I have no clue what are you talking about. So I, <laughs> I thought we were talking about education uh, and technolo technology, right? And I came in when you talk talking about zones. Uh, so are you using zones to teach people how to better? And I have no idea how I got into this mess. Uh, I just click on a bunch of buttons. So sorry about that. But well, well we're shy. into education technology and talking about how we get there. So I guess that's how we got that far deep. And zones oh. probably too far deep. <laughs> Oh, I, I see. So, what what are you using? Uh, okay, okay. What are you using in like to build the education apps you are building? Yes, yes. Nice. And like, kind okay. of like, what what needs do you have? Like, you know, in in the education tech world, you're kind of you, you have these needs that you got to build that application for. So, what are those needs you're trying to meet? And then, what do you run into when you're building an app for that particular industry? Right. Yeah. I think a lot of um, maybe trying to figure out if people are finishing the material or completing the courses or the videos or the blog posts or whatever, like tracking is a big part of education because you want to do better the next time and the next time and the next time, right? I think that's a good point. I think Alisa has, I think Alisa has a lot of experience with that, no? Alisa? Yeah, yeah. There was like two sides to it because it was like our own tracking to what we could like gather, what data we could gather about them. But then there was also like surveys for the like, the students and like asking their opinions on like how did this go, how much did you love this. Um, but we did find actually quite often that you couldn't trust the surveys uh, to just make a direct correlation, and um, so that was always interesting. I don't know if you guys at your companies have found that with like how did your educational experience go? Or what would you, one of the big ones was like, what would you like to see? And so whenever we were actually listening exactly to those surveys, um, then we would ship a lot of content that would said, you know, 100% of people want this, but not like what, like 20% maybe took it, like would actually go through that content. So I think that was always a hard balance of like finding your own way of tracking, like you're saying, and like using like different, I don't know, pieces of technology in your app to do that versus asking them what do yeah. you want. So. You know, the, in the Lean Startup uh, way, you have like uh, people um, are voting with their actions and not their words. You can ask people, what do you want to see? And they can give you like a million answers, and they can lie, and they can want to they want to make you happy, right? So they will say whatever you want to hear. But when they actually finish the course or seeing the video or completing the task you gave them this app or this page or something like that, then you you know <laughs> that you have something uh, good. So it's about maybe testing, and I think in that like. Um, in Angular 2, we're just we're starting to rebuild uh, high-res in Angular 2, and I find it much more much easier to put all the tracking things like uh, and like transmitting like through observables and stuff like that, and and like easier and all the authentication and routing. It's much an easier story. Uh, then in Angular 1 uh, a plus UI router or something like that, uh, which was awesome for one. Uh, so yeah, so I think tracking, this is the point. Tracking is a big part. And somebody helped me to get out of this weird state. <laughs> in, in. <laughs> where I am. Anyway. Uh, for a second, I thought that's where you were. <laughs> Just for yeah, this is my office. This is my office now <laughs> in Venice. Uh, as as far as what we do, um, I mean, we do some level tracking as well. But um, 
our, our company is a little more unique in that uh, we we try not to focus so much on the authoring of content uh, so that it allow, so one of the things that I guess uh, our clients finds attractive about our platform is that uh, we uh, make things easy to port to and from and so um, we let them uh, create a lot of content. And so we have a whole, uh, one side of our product is actually uh, being able to uh, visualize uh, like, what's it called? The data that they're getting from uh, like how the trainees are progressing in their courses or like managing the, the actual content and courses and uh, also being able to pull in uh, nice reports. So it's a little, it's a little different on our side. <laughs> Yeah, and Victor, are you doing any type of reporting or any type of that uh, collection of metrics and stuff like that as far as with your apps as well? Yeah, all these are just separate microservices that are handled by teams across the country. Um, so sometimes we, we just send like the data. I mean, we, we, we show the student like, you know, like a, a score sheet of how they did, but in terms of for the educators to see um, the reporting data, yeah, that, that's all handled by the uh, like analytics teams, um, uh, not, not, not where I'm at, so. Do they have their own UI applications for that that uh, are not Angular, or are they gonna move to Angular, or is there a different better I think, fit for that? Yeah, I think they're in Angular, like, you know, 1.x, right, and definitely using things like, like D3. Um, but yeah, I think uh, uh, this this flagship Angular Two app is is gonna make some noise in our company. So, <laughs> yeah. And is it so? I mean, are you guys like buying into Angular, like saying across the board, or are there things where certain application UI applications are maybe not a good fit for Angular for some reason? Yeah, some won't. Like <clears throat> as I was saying, like this one one app that's. Um, you know, built and run uh, Angular Material un, un, until like Angular Material two is is kind of you know more stable. Uh, they're not they're not gonna port, port it. So I think that the general consensus would be any maybe new development. Uh, it's gonna be in uh, you know using Angular two as as opposed to porting porting apps over. Oh, sorry. Sorry, man. <laughs> I thought that was for me, Shaq. <laughs> yeah. Wesley, is it the same thing for you? Are, are you guys, um, you know, Angular across the board, or do you just kind of use Angular where it fits? Uh, we pretty much use Angular across the board, except, I guess, uh, uh, on the main marketing page. Uh, that uh, is handled differently. But, um, yeah. Um, we're pretty much uh, all Angular shop. Uh, as far as Angular 2 versus Angular 1, um, we focus more on just new development and being in Angular 2. Um, but uh, upgrading, I think, is a very difficult process for probably most Angular 1 apps. And so yeah, for us, it's just not worth the time investment, especially as uh, we're a pretty small dev shop, too. And is part of that driven, uh, I mean, for us, like, it, part of that's driven the fact of getting the entire team kind of entrenched and really learning a technology, right? So we're like, look, if, we, if we're kind of angular across the board, then everybody gets to become an expert at it, and, and you jump from one app to the other as a small shop, and, and there's this parity and this understanding that they can move, and, and it's kind of like a business decision. Is that part of it? You see that as well? Yeah, I mean, like you have you have to pick and choose sort of like uh, where you want to invest your uh, resources if you're, especially on a smaller shop, right? So uh, you don't want to like spend too much time in like choosing all sorts of different technologies, right? That's not very, it's not very good for a company, right? So you gotta you gotta try to get as much efficiencies where you can. Um, that doesn't mean that the developers don't like experiment, like their free time, or even like spit up like one-off apps and whatever, but uh, in general, yeah, we try to keep things consistent so that it reduces the uh, learning overhead, jumping from one project to another. Yeah. And Victor, you mentioned you, have, you guys have multiple teams working on different pieces. Um, is there a level of communication that's current in, in that scenario for you guys where everybody's kind of Constantly in communication with one another, so you're like, oh yeah, Angular's, this is really well for us, this is really well for us, or are they so isolated but yet still coming to kind of the same conclusion? 
Um, yeah, so <clears throat> it is it is kind of difficult some, sometimes since, you know, we're not at the same location. Um, but, I mean, the, the, like Wes says, the general consensus has been on um, on Angular. Uh, I know we do try to do this, um, like, yearly uh, thing of where we get together and discuss kind of the challenges that we've had. Um, you know, we're, we're trying to um, come up with like a, a reusable component library um, hosted on our on our on our GitHub that can be used across teams. You know, there's no point in, in, in rebuilding. So I think I do think that's one of the areas I think we can definitely definitely improve on. Um, but other than that, you know, like like the yearly ngcom, that's when we kind of all see see each other and um, kind of discuss what, what's been going on, so, yeah. Cool. Yeah, I have another question for you guys. Um, is, you know, you guys are making software and working on software that's helping out a lot of people and improving a lot of lives. Like, I mean, does that hit you on a regular basis? Are you constantly thinking about that? I mean, obviously, I would imagine you're probably pretty excited at the fact that your daily job is building these applications that are affecting so many other people. Uh, I'll go first. Um, yeah, I, I I love it. I love what I do. I, I love I love my job. I, you know, does does feel great that that what I'm working on is is helping uh, students. You know, be, become you know learn or learn smarter, learn learn better. Um, yeah, especially when I, when I look at the numbers, you know, like our when our PM sends in the numbers of we're delivering close to, you know, 800k a million assessments a month. That that kind of makes me realize, like, um, you know, how often the the app that I'm working on is being used, which is pretty pretty awesome feeling. I uh, I love it because uh, I guess uh, there's a lot of industries that people could be working in, and a lot of them will do some unethical stuff in my opinion and uh, mm -hmm. or force you to implement stuff that's not great and uh, I don't know that's that sort of thing just makes me un like unhappy dissatisfied as a developer and so that um, at least like working in ed tech I feel like it's it's pretty much a wholly positive industry in my experience um, so I enjoy it greatly as an aside, what do you guys think is the future of VR and ed tech? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Um, I don't know that we'll venture into that anytime soon. But um, yeah, I don't know. Just because our, our our content is not like video driven. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't think we're going to, well, I shouldn't say speak for the company, right? But I don't, I don't know that we're going to dive into that anytime soon. Jeff, yeah. what's the company? <laughs> <laughs> I, I know that it will be a very scary thing to see my videos in VR. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I, I mean, cer certainly when you're tra training on like, um, Angular, like if you're training Angular, then it doesn't make sense. But for a lot of things, it does, right? Like if you are a, um, or especially like, especially AR, like if, you, if you're training a doctor and they have like uh, a headset that can mix the uh, learning aspect with like actually um, as you're going around helping patients, that something along those lines. Um, I think that is like a big room that's kind of like open playing field. That, that, that's a good point, but only uh, even in Angular, you can uh, like think about uh, looking at the directive in 3D, okay? Which kind of be <laughs> edited in 3D. We actually, at my company, we do some cybersecurity stuff, and we actually looked at VR and AR as well, and AR actually for you know, business applications and things like that seems like a lot more of a plausible um, like use case over VR. Typically, you don't want to be like fully immersed. You want kind of like that interactive type thing. So I'd be curious to like, there, there's some, there's a lot of really cool videos out there on the internet of like HoloLens doing all this 
awesome stuff, but I haven't seen anyone actually using it. So, well, I, I think for the VR side, yeah, for sure on the AR side. For, for VR side, it would be sort of the next evolution of like the the category of edtech that's like the sort of game. Uh, like, there's a lot of stuff for like kids where they like te they almost trick kids into learning math by like playing some like cool. Um, iPhone game that like uh, you know they don't even realize that they're learning some like math concepts behind the scenes like that's the type of thing I was I was thinking about uh, that uh, I, I'm sure we'll see one day. I think it will take time though because uh, I mean with it's, when it comes to like uh, figuring out formats that people can learn, I I think that requires a lot of research because you you want to do stuff as well as possible, right? And it has to, I guess, be at a point where it can be better than the other methods of uh, teaching, uh, learning out there right now. So I, there, there's, there's a lot of factors that have to come into play first. So I think it's gonna take a little while before uh, maybe VR, AR gets integrated into learning. Um, Probably in the distant future. Uh, I mean, obviously, it's another format, so it can only help, right? Because it offers more tools available to educators. But uh, I think that's just going to take time. I think one of the biggest drawbacks right now is the hardware cost. Right? It's so expensive for that type of equipment. Yeah. I think another uh, opportunity there would be co-op learning uh, with VR stuff, this ability for multiple people to be present and learning as a group. Maybe that's yeah, I was imagining it in like a webinar type setting where you've got like people attending, you look around, you can see the people. Um, I guess everyone, again, it goes back to what Austin said about the hardware because you'd have to have not only something to see, but then you'd have to have 3D cameras in order to add you to the room or something. But yeah, yeah, definitely. The future, right? The future of education <laughs> technology. All right, well, uh, get time to wrap things up here. So uh, any last thoughts on education tech that we want to plug in here before we get to some tips and picks? Or do you think we covered it all? I think so. It's been a, it's been a really awesome discussion. I mean, there's, there's definitely a lot more to talk about, but it's, it's been good. It's been good. Cool. Cool. All right, well, let's get some picks here. Um, you guys are more than welcome to jump in and, and throw some picks in here if you have some. If not, um, I'll go and do mine really quick. I just want to mention Angular Camp uh, that's coming up next year. It's a community-driven, community-oriented um, event that's going to go on in Barcelona. And uh, sounds like it's pretty exciting. Um, so you guys should check that out. It's angularcamp.org. Uh, awesome. You got anything? Yeah, I got a couple things. Um, this week, uh, or last week, Angular 2.3 dropped. That's pretty awesome. TypeScript 2.1 dropped. That's pretty awesome. Um, Todd Motto wrote a pretty cool Angular 2 reactive forms blog post uh, using uh, like Tesla's range calculator. Um, and there's a new project. I've been dabbling in Node recently. And there's a new project I ran across called Type ORM, which is TypeScript, uh, a TypeScript ORM for Node.js. So it's not Angular related, but a pretty cool project. Cool. Um, Alyssa, you have anything? Uh, yeah, just as far as uh, TypeScript 2.1. Um, it was told to me actually a few minutes ago by Ward Bell that the Angular team discourages development of Angular apps with TypeScript 2.1 at this time. There are too many problems and not just Angular specific problems. Their so, team's broken. Yeah, a little bit of heads up with that. Um, and then I guess my shout out this week will be for uh, High Res, which Shai and I should probably do a join team shout out. Um, so, highres.io, there's he actually just created a TDD course, so that'll be coming out soon, but not yet, um, for Angular. So, uh, yeah, that's all I know right now. Cool. Jeff? Wait, wait. No, Did okay. Right <laughs> <laughs> on cue with the sound mix. All right. Uh, Shai, well, what do you got? You got anything, Shai? 
Yeah, so Alisa stole my thunder, uh, <laughs> but yeah, uh, no, 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 I'm just kidding, Alisa, don't drink your drink. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, uh, we're about to release, like next week, uh, the course we've been working on, so, sorry about the background still, I don't know how to, okay, uh, so uh, let me, yeah, this is better, no? Uh, so, <laughs> So yeah, next week, a uh, few months, we're, we're working on, on making the best TDD theory course ever made. So I'm very, very excited about it. And, uh, and yeah, and, and soon uh, expect me and Alisa to do stuff to do together uh, on YouTube and, and sharing like uh, fun little videos and, and knowledge uh, about uh, front-end development. And a cool hub. Uh, which they announced yesterday, I think. Uh, now you can merge conflicts on GitHub. So uh, it's pretty cool. I haven't tested it yet, but it looks very cool. So just want, want to throw it out there. So those are my picks. Perfect. Great. And Jeff? Yeah, thanks. So I got a couple ones. Uh, one is this project called Lerna at uh, github.com slash Lerna slash Lerna. Uh, it's been really helpful as I've been building out our new, um, uh, some of our new code base in managing multiple NPM packages in the same Git repo. Uh, it's, it's sort of a common thing I've kind of run across recently, and it just has a bunch of tools for, like, automatically NPM linking everything or automatically building everything and that type of thing. So definitely check out Lerna. And then uh, Wasim uh, tweeted an awesome uh, blog post the other day um, about deep uh, learning, uh, just a cheat sheet for that. And I thought that was great, so I'll have a link for that in the notes. And then the last thing is one other thing I'm really excited about, um, this project called Type Style. It's basically something that I've been seriously thinking about and hoping that somebody would create for the longest time, basically creating um, a great way of handling styles like through JavaScript, like sort of like a CSS and JS type thing, but like without having to do inline, like actually doing classes and like, um, like uh, sort of what I consider like the good way, <laughs> like uh, actually being able to share common classes and not inlining everything. Um, but being able to choose how you inherit styles and everything using like and, and it leverages TypeScript, which is why it's called TypeStyle. So definitely check that out. Awesome project, TypeStyle.io. Great, thank you, Jeff. And Victor, uh, yeah, I got got two picks. Um, one of them is uh, JavaScript30.com. Uh, it's this new free course by uh, Wes Boss that he that he launched. It's Pretty fun, um, you know. It's no frameworks, no transpilers, just just pure JavaScript. Uh, really fun course to go through. My second pick is non-tech related. Uh, I'm a huge uh, Michael Bublé fan, so and uh, love love Christmas and the holidays. So his Christmas album is is top notch. So definitely, if you're in the holiday spirit, check that out. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and Wesley, you have anything? Uh, just two links. Uh, one link. Uh, one uh, Greenkeeper IO. Um, I came across this uh, when I joined the uh, Karma team earlier this week, um, or actually a couple days ago. Sorry, not this week. I think it was last week. But um, it it helps uh, open up pull requests uh, with never a dependency update, so that you can keep up to date. Which um, if you've worked on, I guess. Uh, code bases with substantial uh, node modules, uh, it can get very daunting to keep up to date. And so a tool like this can be potentially very useful for people. Um, I thought it was a pretty cool tool. Um, and then uh, I also uh, have a link here to uh, that book that I uh, mentioned earlier, um, uh, because uh, I think it's a good read yeah, for anybody interested in uh, ed tech in general, and I guess uh, learning. Perfect. Perfect. Well, we'll, uh, we'll get the show notes up, uh, all these links for this episode notes up there. So all the things we talked about will be up on our website uh, a little later. Uh, thanks to all of our panelists for joining us today. And thanks so much to our two guests that made it on here to uh, enlighten us on how Angular is used in the education tech industry and get a better understanding of that. Thank you very much. And 
We'll uh, see everybody next week. We've got a show on uh, tips for testing, uh, unit testing, that sort of thing. So join us next Tuesday. Cool.